You punch it at 8.30 every morning, except you punch it at 7.30 following a business holiday, unless it's a Monday, then you punch it at 8 o'clock. Punch in late, and they dock it. This goes to 7. It's the Art. Incoming articles, get a voucher. Outgoing articles, provide a voucher. Move any article without a voucher, and they dock you. Take us off the secretarial pool on three. ASIP. Letter size of green voucher. Folder size of yellow voucher. Parcel size of maroon voucher. Hey, kid, this is for more to trot. Chop, chop. Wrong color voucher, and they dock you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bricked Pit. I'm your host today, Jason. And joining me is the guy who takes a bite out of everybody's lunch from the break room refrigerator, Josh. It's because I'm a diabetic. That's what you keep telling HR, man. And also with us is the guy whose birthday we're celebrating just so we can get 15 minutes off from work, Adam. I'm happy to be here. Just keep passing the cake. And if you haven't guessed, today's topic is about the workplace movie. Uh, every one of us, you know, has a Works. job here. <laughs> <laughs> Not here, put really any effort into this, but... I put more effort into this than my actual job. Let's... <laughs> just a pretty low bar. out there. It's almost kind of like, you know, Josh had pointed out when I talked about sci-fi... A super genre is just morally like a framing device. There's workplace films. And you can really do any kind of genre uh, in a workplace environment. You know, there's been suspense thrillers, romance Saving comedies. Private Ryan. All war movies are workplace <laughs> films. <laughs> That's somebody's job. Seabiscuit. Is that well, not what we... Did I get the assignment wrong again? <laughs> generally speaking, Yes. <laughs> But you can have horrors, dramas, and, you know, everything. And it's really something that I think most people can relate to in one form or other, you know, whether it's an office setting or more blue collar or something like that. What do you guys think makes workplace movies kind of work for you? They're the ultimate of relatability because everybody either knows somebody that has a job, has a job. <laughs> Or had a job, even as a kid, because some of the ones we'll talk about are films that I loved as a kid, and, and I didn't, you know, they had just passed child labor laws at that point, so <laughs> I didn't get sent to the mine. <laughs> I grew up in 1930s Appalachia. <laughs> it was either the coal mines or I was the, the kid that had to stick their hand in the loom, because I had small hands. <laughs> Josh's first job was as the canary. That tracks. That was at a burlesque show, though, so it was a little <laughs> different. <laughs> a whole bunch of different laws are written based off that. How about you, Adam? So I think it's comparing personas. I think that's the interesting thing about a workplace drama is that it illuminates, because people in the office are different than they are in real life, or in their other life, in their personal life, except for Josh. And there are They're, certain archetypes that, right, that you yeah. run into. And, and people tend to, uh, frankly, I mean, even uh, I suspect we're the same way is even normal people fall into tropes at the office because they develop a comfortable to others persona, generally speaking. It's interesting because it becomes a personality. Uh, the workplace drama is, or the workplace film is often about those tropes rather than 
specific scenarios, right? It doesn't really matter what the job is so much. It's it's a personality driven. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it's important what they do, but like yeah, right. I think like you said, like I mean, like the office and stuff. They didn't. They could have been selling anything, right? And I noticed that we specifically steered away from TV. I mean, I, I didn't put any TV shows. I just stuck with movies. I don't watch I, television. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say because I think that the workplace TV sh- show could be its own thing because we have so there's that's that is much uh, very rich soil to to mine from there. So and also because we specifically said in the outline movies, right? <laughs> and that, that has probably. always stopped us. Yeah. <laughs> We've always especially Adam. <laughs> Look. Well, it's it's a guideline. It's not a rule. <laughs> I only mentioned that because I listed like eleven TV shows, and then I noticed nobody else did, and so then I went back. Adam, <laughs> so. I think you came across a, a good point because I know one of the things I found out when I was younger, really kind of starting off working, is there's people I can be friends with, there's people <laughs> I can work with, mm-hmm. and there's uh, some people that I can do both. Very few, yeah, yeah. Because I know there was a guy I didn't like in high school. And it, he started working at the same place I was, was like, oh, God, this jerk. And then it's like, at work, you would have thought we were best buds because we got along because we both worked and we just did our jobs. And, you know, we had right. that same work ethic and it was a completely different scenario outside the workplace. Yeah. In my, in my last workplace, man, like the best guy, uh, we, we had a lot of turnaround. It was, it was a high stress job. And this guy comes in, he's like a couple of years out of college. He was younger than all of us because we were all just old and salty at this point. <laughs> Didn't know anything about him. Kind of knew he was married. Kind of knew he had kids. But he, he came in every day. He sat at his desk. He did his work. He went home. We're like, man, Patrick's awesome. Because there's nothing, you know, he didn't bring anything like other people brought their external <laughs> stuff <laughs> into the office. And like, we were just, we didn't want to know anything about you. We didn't, we just wanted you to perform your job and then leave. So that's and, a bit in Parks and Rec. Ron Swanson says, he says, this is so-and-so. We've worked together for 11 years. I still don't know his name. You know, he retired. We still don't talk sometimes. And the only parallel I'll draw to to the office before we start talking about movies is though, like I, like when I started my working career, it was like close to the time the office was starting, and in a very much identified with Jim Halpert, and then like now it's like Stanley is like the gold standard. <laughs> Of, like I'm like that's you, the dude I want to be. You are Phyllis 100. <laughs> Have I told you about my wife? <laughs> she has a refrigeration business. <laughs> so you know, like one of the popular corporatisms these days is that people are management is taught to allow your employees or to encourage your employees to quote bring their whole their whole selves to work. Bring your whole self to work, and I think. Hey, those of us who are a little longer in the tooth know that's that's not true. Don't do that. No. <laughs> and, Red but, flag. But B, especially, I know you do see, like you said, like folks right out of college, first job uh-huh. or whatever, they buy it. They immediately are like, this is a great place to work. I can be myself here. But I think a lot of the very best sort of screwball workplace comedies, that the reason it's funny is because the foil in the film has brought their whole self to work. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's what's going on here is they are in fact bringing their, well, it's, it's often, it's, it's often a trick, right? <laughs> There's some fun trick. If you're just starting out in your working career, here's some advice. 
hey, my office door is always open. We have an open door policy. Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> they <laughs> do, not, do not go over your supervisor's head to talk to the big boss because I don't care if you caught them murdering someone. You're you're done. <laughs> that's that's a trap. Yeah, I, I'm tempted to go down that road. I don't want it to become <laughs> that would be its own podcast. But workers <laughs> listen to the show. Yeah, well, yeah, here, here, other, other, here are other lies that you are talking. <laughs> the best response, though, when you hear like, uh, "Hey, we're like a family here," you can say, uh-huh. "We sure are," because I hate them too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, HR loves that one. Uh-uh. I, just like my family, I send them emails saying that you're no longer welcome in this building either. Even though you've been here for 12 years, you're done. I'm escorted out with a security guard and they pretend like they didn't exist. Looking at you, Salesforce. Sorry. I'm also in a lawsuit with my family. <laughs> I often leave an empty box outside their their room and say, Just put your things in there. Don't ask for a reference. Not eligible for rehire. <laughs> Actually, some families might benefit greatly to have a more office-oriented. Yeah. That's a good point. Now that I think about it, wait a second. I'm drafting up a contract with my kids right now. We need to get it. We need to get an HR department over here. <laughs> now, listen. There's no money for raises in the budget, but you did a pretty good job this year. So here's a pizza party. Here's a two percent raise in your allowance, but that didn't keep up with inflation. Well, you're lucky to still have a job here. <laughs> Well, well, thank you for tuning into the Jaded Worker <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> There's people listening going, finally, something I can identify with. <laughs> this is the yeah. longest edition of the hate box we've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> this may be like the source. It's like the dark matter that powers the hate box. You know, our super rich friend, though, he's turning to his driver right now. I'm going, to, do you do you relate to any of the things these guys are saying right now? You act like he listens. Take a memo. I need to look into this more. We don't have rich friends. <laughs> he doesn't listen. <laughs> He'll never hear this. Our rich, rich friends are able to take their family to Waffle House once a month. <laughs> And they never shut up about it. They brag. All, they, they brag. They send like sixteen shots. They, they they take a picture of the receipt and look what look what I could do, you know. And we all got the all star. <laughs> Slowly roll, man. That's that's crazy. We buddy. add we add vanilla syrup to our cokes. <laughs> that's ten cents more. We got the hash brown smothered, not covered or anything else, but we got the we got the smothered. Yeah, now I'm hungry for Waffle House. <laughs> I've always, I've, no joke. I've always said if ever, you know, like that Powerball is like a billion dollars or whatever. I was like, if I win that money, lots of people are like, I'm going to hire a personal French chef who just cooks it. Man, no, I'm going to hire an ex Waffle House chef. Those people can cook anything on the spot under pressure at any time of day. That's what I want. <laughs> Plus, they can double as a bodyguard. <laughs> I love that there's a subgenre of videos out there of Waffle House fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thirty years ago, it could have been like a, a 
cable channel. <laughs> Waffle House fights. Here's another tip for you folks who may not live where Waffle Houses are. If you ever go visit and you drive up in the parking lot and there's not somebody outside smoking that has to put a cigarette out to come inside, <laughs> you're at the wrong Waffle House. That's the- <laughs> Drive four minutes That's to the That's what I say, down to the next exit. <laughs> That's the one you want. Or wait for traffic to clear up to cross the street to the other one. Just to show everybody how far back the Waffle House uh, fight goes. Just go to YouTube and search for Dutch Mantel, Randy Savage Waffle House fight. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to mention that as soon as Waffle House came up, <laughs> and, I, and I ain't mad about it. <laughs> no, no, it's it's fantastic story. But yeah, the the workplace movie. I think like overall, one of the main themes of it is almost uh, always. Not always, but almost always, rebellion. That's a good point. Yeah, fighting, fighting the system, or fighting each yeah. other. <laughs> you, that's the system. <laughs> we are, we are the system. <laughs> Whoever you want uh, it to be, everybody is their own uh, system. I'm man. sorry, I didn't know I was talking to the HR <laughs> narc. <laughs> <laughs> we are the system here. <laughs> we here at the Brick Pit are like a family. We work hard and we play hard. <laughs> You, you mispronounced the word drink <laughs> both times. <laughs> and a lot of our choices actually have, you know, that rebellion aspect of it. Vince McMahon made millions of dollars off it in the, the late 90s and early 2000s when you find out the boss is the best villain you can ever have. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Adam, I want you to go ahead and start with your first selection because it is really kind of a monument of office place. It really is. So Cinderella was a movie that came out in the forties. It was (laughs) (laughs) the archetype for this is and I think most people would drop to this conclusion is, is office space. From Mike Judge, creator of Beavis and Butthead and co-creator of King of the Hill, comes a movie about people who go to work. Who are part of a team. And remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. Okay, but I could set the building on fire. Who respect their boss. We need to talk about your flair. Well, I have 15... 15 pieces on. 15 is the minimum. Brian, for example, has 37 pieces of flair on today. <laughs> and a terrific smile. And need to escape. I don't like my job, and I don't think I'm going to go anymore. One of these days, I, I, I just I just kick this piece of... I'm thinking now it might be more fun to just get fired. And I've always wondered what that would take. So, Peter, listen. Uh... Well, it looks like you've been missing quite a bit of work lately. Well, I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> That's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. We're going to be getting rid of these people here. Mr. Samir. Okay, okay. Not going to work here anymore anyway. <laughs> you haven't been showing up and you got to keep your job. Actually, I'm being promoted. Thank you, Bob. This is a... It sucks. They're going to throw you out on the street so that Bill Lumberg's stock will go up. Ooh, it's completely unfair. Inatech deserves to go down. We're just the guys to do it. 
tell me about that virus you're always talking about. The one that could rip off the company for a bunch of money. I'm not going to do anything illegal, Peter. Illegal? Samir, this is America. The worst they're gonna do is they put you in a white-collar minimum security resort for a couple of months. You know they have conjugal visits there? I might be showing her my O face. Oh, oh. They let you have sex with women? They sure do. Okay, I'll do it. Office space. I know you've been getting pretty depressed about your job and everything, and so I just wanted to tell you good things can happen in this world. I mean, look at me. <laughs> I would say it's more of a, a high water mark because one of Jason's selections, I think, that's is a true the template is the is the absolute. Yeah, that's fair. Foundation that all the the workplace comedies are based on. But anyway, <laughs> well, thanks for that clarification. <laughs> <laughs> that's according to my book. <laughs> the way I remember this is that it didn't do that well when it came out, but over time it became a cult classic. I I didn't see it when it came out. It had legs. It had legs. That's true. It's a Mike Judge, Mike Judge movie. It's got it's you know, a Mike Judge friend of the podcast. <laughs> you know, I think what for folks like us uh, enjoy about it is it is a sort of typical black comedy that has these the dryness, the wit of it is what really sticks. Like it, it's funny for all the right reasons. <laughs> I don't know how to, right. I don't know how to sell it better than that. <laughs> Josh did it once, and I. I 100% agree with this, and it's the only time you'll hear me say that about something Josh said. But he said that Mike Judge is like the greatest American satirist of our time. Yeah. I can't believe I said that. I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I, I think that's absolutely true. And Office Space was birthed out of, like, he was an animation guy, mm -hmm. and it was birthed out of his Milton shorts. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who haven't seen it, you should go watch it, but you probably have seen at least parts of it or you're at least familiar with the memes from it. It got popular because Comedy Central essentially just aired it nonstop. It was the office space channel there for a while. It's kind of unavoidable. The bit is, is that your stereotypical office drone, he gets hypnotized and his hypnotist uh, dies of a heart attack in the middle. Hypnotherapists are always hilarious. <laughs> That's like the punchline uh, profession. <laughs> It's definitely something if you need just a real quick way to explain just a complete and utter just change of character for no reason. Uh, hypnotist. Yeah, that's it. That's a that's a two minute scene <laughs> and it works for the rest of the and, movie. And it's not and it's a really good uh, hand wave to avoid otherwise what would be brick pits, which is acting out of character. Right. right? Well, there's a great line in, in Red Dwarf where uh, the stuck-up character is talking about having done past live regressions, and he, the line delivery is perfect, but he says, my hypnotherapist friend, Donald. And it's, like, <laughs> it's like the most funniest profession and name combination ever, because you can just... You just know who that guy is. <laughs> you can see that That's guy. Funny. And like he's way... And he's just like the one in the film. Like He's just like way too into being a hypnotherapist like like he's put all of his eggs in this basket man it's, so much that he has a heart attack <laughs> deeper and deeper <laughs> i don't even know who the guy was that played the the hypnotherapist in all the space but man he's he's on the screen for like said like two minutes maybe he, choose it, yeah. the scenery up it's perfect yeah so he goes from being a high-strung 
extremely burnt out, tired, and depressed normal American to this the dude. dude. Yeah, that was I was trying to think of the right phrasing for it. But yeah, that's a good analogy. Is he just, you know, hey man, what's up? <laughs> and he does what everybody wishes they could do in real life, right? He goes in and unscrews one of the walls of his cubicle so he can see out the window and and the boss comes around he just kind of ignores what he says and he's just super relaxed and chill and that's you know the first part of the comedy it's definitely there's a lot of wish fulfillment in that it's by you're living vicariously through that guy watching that on the screen because it builds up before that just all the tedium Of working in an office environment, and PC load letter yeah. and, the, and the TPS <laughs> yeah. report, and what's crazy is like, like I said, it was not a very successful film, and there's a multitude of reasons for that. It is like burned into the vernacular. Uh-huh. It's like woven yeah. into the American zeitgeist. It really is because pieces of flair right. is yeah. everyone, even if you haven't seen the movie, you know what that is. Know what that you is. Know or the TPS report, mm-hmm. which has become corporate jargon for things like mm-hmm. that. You like, I use that phrase all the time in real life, you know, and stuff. And so in your made, in up, my job. made up job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a friend of mine when I told him, it's like, man, you've got to watch this movie. You know, it's my Mike Judge the guy did Beavis and Butthead. Like, oh, I hate Beavis and Butthead. It's like you're gonna love this. <laughs> and he watched it, and he he was, had a frown on his face, and he was like, rah, rah, rah. but at the end, he's just laughing, and he's like, "That's exactly what it's like <laughs> at work." And it's not just in the office, because like I said, the restaurant as well, and how just stupid rules, and how they expect you to to act, and you know, kind of get along, and and play nice. The bit with the flare is like, you know, I noticed you only have 15 pieces of flare. Well, that's what you says in the manual. We need 15 pieces. Yeah, but Billy has 30, you know. I mean, maybe you should be more like, yeah. but it says 15. <laughs> so you want more? No, I want you want more. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it, it, it really addresses, like, you know, people talk about stuff like quiet quitting and stuff now. It's like, well, that's always been yes. a thing. Like, like every... Everybody gets burnt out and does the bare minimum not to be fired. Like that's that's everyone yeah, uh, except for those those guys that are like the guy that had thirty pieces of flair and nobody likes right. them. Like, I think what I think is that article about quiet quitting was written by one of, by somebody that was quiet no, quitting. No, by the other guy who has the thirty pieces of flair who is appalled. <laughs> That, and he thinks he stumbled across some kind of like, like he discovered Fight yeah. Club, and, but, then, <laughs> and then like you know, like eighty five out of eighty five out of hundred people are going, that's just that's just work. Like you're just describing yeah. everybody's job. <laughs> you mean? Uh, yeah, I saw a thing online, and you know they were doing the quiet quitting thing. It's like, wait a minute, quiet quitting is me doing the job that we agreed to. For the the salary you agreed to give me, <laughs> well, it's like it's like that's above my pay grade, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yes. politicians that are quiet <laughs> quitting. This. Yeah. Ooh, you don't pay me for that. That's what I'm saying. It's like the go getters are like shocked this exists in the marketplace. And I'm like, yeah, I could see why you would think this is shocking. <laughs> the, you know, the the Lumbergs of the yeah. world, the yeah. uh, the middle managers who are a pox upon their house. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're a middle manager out there, but it's like you know, you know you're 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 not needed. You're you're like the guy that's like, well, I, I talk to the engineers and the people person. He starts freaking. Out. Like, yeah, you're just you're kind of there 
for no real but reason. What's worse than that is the bobs of the world, the consultants <laughs> that come in and do they don't bring any value at all, but they shake it. Professional fire. Yeah, professional, you know, these are the people you need to lay off. These are the departments that are inefficient. Anyway. <laughs> what I love about that whole situation yeah. is there's you two also. Of them. <laughs> so they have a redundant position <laughs> yes that, that for one but also it injects failing upwards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because when the main character just stops caring and just tells them it's like yeah i don't really do anything most of the day i do maybe like five minutes of actual work a day you know i just make it look like i'm busy to keep all the bosses off my back you know there's like this guy's got middle management written all of them straight shooter. <laughs> the only the only reason I hate people that fail upwards is because I've yet to be able to do it. <laughs> My failure trajectory is always down, and so I get I get really salty. You know what it is, right? You work it's jealousy. No, no, no. The reason you've not failed upwards is because you do on a hundred point scale where a sixty is passing, you get a sixty-two. You need to get down to a sixty-one. That's that's the line you need to bat to fail upwards because if you do a fifty-nine, they fire you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very hard needle to thread, uh, but you could do it. <laughs> you just gotta get real close to the line. Lumberg's the boss, and he's like, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I'm gonna need you to come in Saturday. And Lord, if you've ever worked in an office like that where they're like on a Friday afternoon telling you need to come in Saturday and Sunday for a last minute project. And well, the pr- reason he needs them to come in is because they fired all these right. people. They need somebody <laughs> to do the work. Yeah. That's the other hand. Anyway, look at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap. We just got suspended. Yeah. <laughs> Elon's listening in while we record. That's insane. You know, the last bit of this that we're worth talking about is the standout character in this is Milton. I think that he's the character that is most talked about, maybe other than the printer they destroy with the bats. <laughs> I'll say Dietrich Bader, man. Yeah. That's, that's the guy everyone really aspires to be. <laughs> yeah. That is my ideal <laughs> of adulthood. Two chicks, man. <laughs> My favorite interaction, though, is when Rod Livingston's character is like, you know, it worked. Does anybody say you've got a case of the Monday? Let me ask you something. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Shit, no, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. As like like yeah. horror and pity and like <laughs> like what kind of disgust at the yeah. concept. So if you're one of the three people that haven't seen Office yeah. Space, go watch. Go out to your local library <laughs> and pick up a copy. <laughs> it's definitely a high watermark in the workplace films. I think it hits on all those things that really just aggravates people about having to go to work. The traffic jam, trying to get there, commuting, having to deal with the people you have to deal with at work, that if you didn't have to be there being paid to be there, you would definitely not be around those people (laughs) under your own choice. It's a lighthearted falling down. Yeah. (laughs) And also the ending, I like the ending that the character kind of finds a little bit of peace and everything, just Mm -hmm. doing manual labor. Right. Well, and the irony being that he's... He's literally picking up the pieces of the, <laughs> the, building, <laughs> the destroyed building, building right, yeah. that caused him so much consternation. There's there's a bit of uh, 
Let's put a philosophy in there, I think. Well, and the other thing is, is everybody works with a Milton. I mean, everybody works with somebody who you're like, if somebody's going I, I don't. If you're not. <laughs> if you don't, you probably are the I, Milton. That's what I was about to say. Your, co- your co-workers do. <laughs> I'm going to burn this podcast to the ground. <laughs> I was told I could have reasonable choices in my movies. <laughs> An office can only support like one Milton, though. If you get if you get more than one Milton, it becomes like a hell. Well, that's you know that's what they did to him in the movie is they just stopped paying him. Right, that was the way they were going to get rid of him. Is you know we'll just we'll, it was a, we'll just uh, do an accounting turn off his paycheck. We, we fixed, we fixed, the, fixed error. the error in accounting. Yeah. You know, we fixed the glitch. Yeah, yeah. It is how they would deal with somebody like that. Not not that literally, but they would do, you know, some kind of quiet firing, you know. Yeah. Well, Milton's not here anymore, you know. I mean, call everybody to the conference room, and then they would be immediately uh, meeting about something unrelated. But- oh, I think we've discussed before the um, if you get the email that says so-and-so is no longer with the company, it's like just a single line, yep. you know, some, like, juicy stuff happening. <laughs> <laughs> Because if they, if they left the company on good terms, it's like, well, you know, so and so is going to go pursue new right. options, and we wish them luck. But if it's yeah. like they're no longer with the company, it's like, oh man, they like took their pants down and <laughs> yeah. peed all over their desk or something. Like, <laughs> please send all your emails regarding such and such project to so and so from now on. <laughs> There's a story there, <laughs> exactly. All right, Josh, uh, what's your first choice? All right, well, I'm going to take Strange Tack for us in the uh, Brick Pit and talk about a... This is listed as both a comedy and a romance on IMDb and other places, and it is not. <laughs> <laughs> and it is the uh, the film Secretary stars Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader. I have never had a job before, but I can assure you that I am very excited about this opportunity. All I need is a typist who can answer the phone. You have reached the office of Mr. Edward Gray. (laughs) It's very dull work. I like dull work. I'm not here. How'd it go? I got it. letter has three typing errors in it. I'm sorry, I'm... I'm... Type it again. This needs more sugar. Six copies of these. What is wrong with you? You can get a much bigger voice out of that tiny throat. This is the office of Mr. E. Edward Gray. (laughs) I'm the type of guy who wants to get married and have a kid. (laughs) If you need any more typing, I can come back later. Thank you, Miss Holloway. Good night. Come into my office. Finally. This isn't just about typos. It's your behavior. What about my behavior? It's very bad. I'm very fond of you. I'm your secretary. If we can fully experience pain, we can live a more meaningful life. <laughs> He's the best. Are you doing something sexual? There are other ways to show your feelings. Sure, don't We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? And I've found someone to love in a way that feels right. Just a scoop of cream potatoes. Four peas. 
this. As much ice cream as you'd like to eat. Could you get me a cup of coffee? Do you really want to be my secretary? Yes, I do. I like to think that this is the backstory of uh, Robert California. <laughs> <laughs> it makes perfect sense. But the the film, it like I don't even think it's a, a dark comedy. It's 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 very strange. So it's like a better made Fifty Shades of Grey is what it is. And I think it predates Fifty Shades of Grey, so maybe that's just a, a cheap imitation. But it's about as this girl gets out of the mental hospital and she's like she's a cutter. You know, it's how she deals with like her dad's drunk and probably abusive. Her mom's like just not together. And she gets a job as James Spader's secretary, and they develop this really strange BDSM kind of relationship, like a dominant, submissive thing. Performances are great. It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> if- I love the choice of words. The performances <laughs> are great. The acting was good, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is definitely like a late-night Cinemax-style film i don't want to outright and say like don't watch it be careful who you watch it with <laughs> grandma may not want to be in the room tell you where you should watch this is at work you will be the subject of one of those emails that goes out <laughs> josh is no longer with the company i thought it was an hr training film I, I don't know if it like she does a lot of voiceovers and stuff and, and she's i don't know if it's if I'm just reading it wrong, because it, it, it does seem like overwrought. It, it The tone reminds me of Kristen Bell did uh, the, the woman across the street in the window or something like that, which is like a parody of these kind of lifetime movie. The first part of it is real. You, you can't really tell if it's satire or not. And then later on, it becomes apparent that, that it is. Secretary never got to that point. <laughs> so... So I tend to believe what it was it was peddling is that this is some kind of romance between these two characters and that it ha- it certainly has some memorable scenes. I thought it'd be a nice counterpoint to uh, office the space. office office comedy uh-huh. is ha- having a more dramatic or sexy office. <laughs> is, is it a good movie? Or is it just a It is a competent movie. Right. Like I said, the the the, the performances are are great it's just i don't think it's my it's in my wheelhouse so so i don't want to say it's a bad film because it's not to my taste does that no, make I got sense you. Yeah. like like whereas like 50 shades of gray is a bad movie it's, i've not seen that either so. the acting's bad it's 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 super melodramatic this film is it's quirky so for, for yeah for I, what it's worth to people who care about these things it's got an 82 audience score and a 78 critic score uh, you know so that's usually a pretty good indicator that it has wide appeal. It was a brave choice for Gyllenhaal. Like she bears it all <laughs> in her performance. James Spader is just like I think this is the genesis of like he's built a niche of being this kind of like intense dude that like wasn't there, but he was like doing his his eighties rom coms. Like I think this is like the genesis of like the blacklist kind of James Spader mm-hmm. and the. Robert California, it's it's in that zone. So if if you want to if you want to see the prequel to his office appearance, top critic David Anson from Newsweek says this is a feel good movie about sadomasochism. <laughs> 
which is a weird sentence I've never read before. (laughs) (laughs) The last act changes tone and plays out as a very strange romantic comedy that I just didn't think was funny. (laughs) I'm not going to ick your yuck. (laughs) Or what is it? What is that phrase? I I have no idea, dude. That's... You're just making up words yeah. now and putting them That's together. That's right. I'm not going to Turkish you there tonight. You <laughs> <laughs> All right. My first choice is Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Put that coffee down. We're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. First prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Second prize is a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. The incredible cast. Times are tight. It's tight. Crush is just too great. The memorable lines. A, B, C. Always be closing. The explosive drama. You're hot, so you think you're the ruler of this place. You want to shut up! Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. They stole the leads, they stole the phones, they stole the... When I talk to the police, I get nervous. You know who doesn't? Not who. Thieves. Starring Academy Award winners Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alan Arkin, and Kevin Spacey. Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Academy Award nominees Alec Baldwin and Ed Harris. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. With Jonathan Price. Oh, what? Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. Have I got your attention now? Lemon is a revelation. Look, I'm going to make this office and I'm going to be number one on that board again. (laughs) An American masterpiece about desperation and betrayal. Talk to me. Talk to me. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. This is it. Fantastic choice. Yeah, great movie uh, based off of David Mamet's play, and he wrote the screenplay. It's a David Mamet (laughs) film. The running gag by the the cast was, it was death of an effing salesman. (laughs) I've never heard that before. That's funny. And, and that's that's an incredibly yeah. accurate. Yes, <laughs> I, I don't think you could be more succinct. No, the the whole premise is it's a group of guys who are trying to sell investments in real estate. They're salesmen. It's a great cast: uh, Ed Harris, Jack Lemon, Al Pacino, Alan Arkin. Jonathan Price has a small part in it. He who shall not be named anymore was also in it. Oh come on, man! <laughs> the man, the man's a good actor, even if he yes, is a murderer. Yes, Kevin Spacey is a good OJ, actor. OJ Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Another workplace, the Naked Gun. <laughs> uh, and also, Alec Baldwin has a small part in it. So I'm just going to. That's who, talk that's who to I thought you were. That. Yeah, that's who I thought you were referring to. He's the murderer <laughs> that we can name. <laughs> But they actually wrote that part for Alec Baldwin because he wanted to be in it. And I think he was originally trying to get the Roma role that Al Pacino took. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they wrote that role specifically for him. It doesn't appear in the play. And it's it's probably one of his finest performances. It's the most remembered scene out of that film. Mm -hmm. It's the one that everyone Mm -hmm. quotes. Coffee's for closers. You know what it takes to sell real estate? takes brass balls to sell real estate. Go and do likewise, gents. The money's out there. You pick it up, it's yours. You don't, I got no sympathy for you. You want to go out on those sits tonight and close? Close, it's yours. Not, you're going to be shining my shoes. And you know what you'll be saying? 
Bunch of losers sitting around in the bar. Oh, yeah. I used to be a salesman. It's a tough racket. These are the new leads. These are the Glengarry leads. And to you, they're gold. And you don't get them. Why? Because to give them to you is just throwing them away. They're for closers. I wish you good luck, but you wouldn't know what to do with it if you got it. The whole aspect of it is is these guys, they're trying to make their numbers because there's like this contest, whoever sells the most gets a Cadillac. And of course, Alec Baldwin comes in, you know what second place is? Ginsu Knives. You know what the third place is? You're fired. And so there's this real big push for everyone to try and sell. But they keep complaining about the fact that the leads they're getting are just terrible. Like the people mm -hmm. aren't going to buy and they have these great set of leads that the office manager, played by Kevin Spacey, won't give them because the the guys who are running the the office told them not to. You know, the good leads are for closers, and so it's this kind of this day in the life of these guys, and it's really well made out how it kind of slowly tells you who these people are without being very explicit about it. Jack Lemon, like you find out that he has a daughter and there's apparently something going on with her. Like she's in a hospital or in a some sort of care home or something like that. But they never tell you what exactly is the issue with her. They just let you know that he's doing all this for her. That that's, you know, kind of his thing. And Al Pacino is playing like the guy who's just like closing left and right and there's a good bit where like he's in this the chinese restaurant that's like across the street from their office and he's talking to this guy who's in in there's jonathan price and you find out he winds up selling this dude on this real estate essentially scam well not really scam but the way they're doing is scam because each one of them you hear they're they're always like you know they're like the vice president of the company or something like that and they're just in town for the day if they, you know, come by and talk to you about this great offer, you know, before they have to go fly back to Arizona or wherever. So I don't know if either of you have ever worked in sales, but just like office space had that cultural impact in the actual offices with the jokes and the TPS report humor and all that kind of crap. Sales departments, the kind of folks who run sales departments are heavily influenced by the crap in this movie. It's like the mobster movies. They picked up for the wrong lessons. <laughs> I have worked in a lot of situations and I've been parallel to a lot of situations where, like you just said, there's this like trend in, in sales departments now where everybody's a VP of sales. Everybody. Mm -hmm. You could be the fresh face right off the boat in the, out of college and your first job is in sales and you're now the, the vice president of uh, East Coast Florida sales. Right. <laughs> you know, And that's your title on your business card. They use all these high pressure sales tactics and it, it's super widespread and it doesn't matter what you're selling. They're, they're using this crap <laughs> from this and, and variations of and it. And the sad thing is, is it works. Sales is a, um, 
it's fertile ground for the unscrupulous to sow their seeds. <clears throat> and they're, they're honest salesmen out yeah, there. But you it, know, obviously, it attracts but a certain it, personality type, which is what this movie mm-hmm. really leans into. You're either, you're either mm-hmm. the kind of person that can do this or you're not. Well, and there's also the kind of interesting that there's the younger folks and then the, in the older folk, you know, they kind of runs the gambit of like the, your season as a salesman, but it's not a job that typically you retire from because, because of the energy required mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So, like as you get older, the harder it becomes, and whether you're getting a conscience or you just don't have the, you know, you just don't have the cocaine fueled drive anymore to get out. There. <laughs> Your Rick James years caught up with you finally. That's right. <laughs> There's a a great scene where Jack Lemon comes in earlier. You know, he's been having trouble closing, and you know, he's like, "I'm I'm in a rut, and you know, these bad leads," and he's he's trying to do everything he can. To, to turn that around, he tries to get Kevin Spacey to give him some of the good leads and promises and I think 20% of his commissions and stuff like that. Well, he eventually comes back and he's like, you know, I, I sold, I think, like $80,000 worth of this real estate to this couple and everything. And it's like, and you see this complete and utter change in him. Like he's got this confidence and he's telling the story to Al Pacino's Roma character. And Al Pacino's sitting there listening, just eating it up. And actually gets on Ed Harris's character because Ed Harris is just very self-absorbed and doesn't care. And But they're talking, going back and forth about, you know, how Jack Lemmon sold him and all that kind of stuff. And then Jonathan Price's character shows up. Suddenly there's a switch and Jack Lemmon's acting like he's this executive from this other company that Al Pacino's been selling him on, you know, to help kind of push the fact that this is, you know, big, great deal and all that kind of stuff. And also give Pacino an excuse to, to leave right then because the guy's coming back to get his check back. Mm. And he knows by like state law, he's got three days to undo it. Just, you know, seconds earlier, Pacino's character is this very like caring, you know, empathetic person. You know, he, he looks like a really good guy. And then all of a sudden you see that salesman part of it. Like he's trying to get out of it. It's like, oh no, you've got plenty of time. Yeah, no, we haven't, we haven't put the check in or anything like that, taking it to the bank. When Kevin Spacey had told him earlier, no, your contract's gone to the bank. Everything's done. And so you see that duplicitous nature just come out in an instant because he's protecting his sale. It's a I really good. wound up just talking about this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a really well-written movie yeah. with very well-created characters. I think that's what I really like about it. I think that's what really kind of catches everybody because you can both empathize with the characters and hate them at the same time. Right. They're, they're multi-layered. They're not just paragons or, um, or villains. They're actual people trying to make a living. Yeah. Have their own desires and motivations, as Josh might say. <laughs> they don't necessarily want to do what you want them to do. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> this is a, a great david mamet movie i i really like david mamet's work i think he's i like to say david mamet Mm. it's fun (laughs) if if i imagine him as a marsupial (laughs) if he was an anthropomorphic (laughs) animal david marmot you know (laughs) i I hadn't anybody done that yet zootopia 2 needs to have david marmot in it (laughs) writing the screenplay that's free. That's free, Hollywood. That's free for y'all. I won't charge you for that one. Utopia is another workplace drama. That's with a, with a police officer undercover. That's a great workplace drama. Now that you mention it, I encourage you to try to come up with a movie that's not a workplace drama tonight. <laughs>
All right, but yeah, Glenn Glenn Ross, if you haven't seen it, it's a must-watch. Have the kids in the room with you. They'll love it. They'll learn all kinds of new words for their vocab test on Friday. (laughs) Not your kids. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Adam, what's your second choice? Uh, Second choice is The Social Network. substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles. I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours. Thousand. 22,000. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it says. So did we? A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. You're going to get left behind. It's moving faster than any of us ever imagined. Get left behind. Let's sue him in federal court. I can't wait to stand over your shoulder and watch you write as a check. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, to Facebook. Is there anything that you need to tell me? Your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on. We have been working on. Did you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Mark! This is our time. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges... I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. Uh, I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? It's a 2010 movie. It's the movie that I think Jesse Eisenberg really shows he's got some acting chops. It's very critically acclaimed. It's about the founding of Facebook, the business side of that, and it Whenever you asked earlier, Jason, what makes a a workplace drama a workplace drama, the reason that I thought of this movie is specifically because of it really shows how people relate to each other in the workplace. And in this case, in a mostly true, like true to life way. Somewhat true. Yeah. I would also point out that this was written by Aaron Sorkin, who is pretty much. Workplace drama is. He's the David Mamet of (laughs) workplace television drama. Yeah, uh, and one of my favorite. Uh, I really like Aaron Sorkin's work. I know he's polarizing for a lot of people, but West Wing is probably one of the best shows on television. That is the thing that you said. Yeah. Yes, we, <laughs> we can fight that fight later. There, it laid the foundation for a lot of that style. I mean, there's no doubt that he's incredibly influential, and he's he's very good at dialogue and digging down into the nitty gritty of the workplace. I mean, this is really, this is where he lives. That's fair. And nine inch nails did the film score, which is pretty cool too. (laughs) 
the interesting part about the story is that it is a movie with interesting elements, but mostly the tension of the film and the way Jesse Eisenberg embodies. I mean, he really does have that look to him that Mark Zuckerberg has. Somebody you just want to punch on principle. Yeah, essentially. I mean, you know, it gives sort of the history of Facebook, but what it really shows to me and the reason that I like, and again, yeah, there are exaggerated and fictionalized elements of the movie. For instance, there's no such thing as this Facebook. <laughs> I think that was made yeah. up. <laughs> there's no real person as Mark Zuckerberg either. That's a, he's just an AI robot that we created to. <laughs> Those twins in the movie, one of them was CGI. <laughs> but a lot of it was based off of transcripts from depositions and actual footage and the litigation history is out there. Undoubtedly, Facebook is an extremely important part of our culture, and Mark Zuckerberg is an extremely important part of our society, for good or ill. What we see or what is demonstrated to me both in the movie but in the reality is that it shows very early on that Mark Zuckerberg, while he is interested in being a billionaire and making that money, what he's really interested in is power and oh, influence. Yeah. And I think the influence aspect of it is what really made me start thinking about social media differently. When this movie came out, I was like, oh, that's actually a really good insight into what was the motivation for the person who created this. And it was to control <laughs> other people. <laughs> right. It wasn't, it wasn't for yeah. yeah, no. This isn't really for profit. Right. Like you said, it was all for. It was mostly. A, the, these yeah. a-holes are just giving me all their information. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> to your point about the mob movies, there are no good good guys like even the even the victims are the bad guys <laughs> like it's the, there are no good people like it's just all bad people so it's just like it is life. like real life in, in so many ways yeah that's corporate america yeah, that's, adam that's oh, why man. that's why it resonates jason that's the that's like uh, late stage capitalism uh what other buzzwords can we throw out there <laughs> ethical consumption under capitalism there we go Keep it relevant. There, there is uh, probably the most famous scene is where he's being deposed. Were you leading them on for six weeks? No. Then why didn't you raise any of these concerns before? It's raining. I'm sorry? It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition, and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? That hubris and that attitude uh, toward others, I really feel like is that's the that's the real Mark Zuckerberg, even today, right? If you see him testify on Capitol Hill. And the way he responds to lawmakers' questions is that same sort of like, I don't need to be here. Like, I'm better than any of this. It's a fascinating film. It's well acted. It's a good movie. I would I would recommend watching it. I just want to mention one more because we kind of alluded to it earlier. And I think it's an important workplace movie. Uh, and that's the comedy 9 to 5. 20th Century Fox presents a tribute to anyone who has ever been overworked, underpaid, and pushed to the edge by an ungrateful boss. Mm -hmm. 
they arrive promptly at nine, because if they're not on time, they know they'll get the sack. But before they begin the daily grind, the boss takes his cup black. They remember each date, make sure he's not late, and keep everything organized. They reserve tables for brunch or a three martini lunch while they dine on burgers and fries. This road. They listen to all his problems. They do their best to please. And even if they run the show, he gets paid for their ideas. Great work. And so long as he's alive from nine to five, they'll take it all they can. This road. Come in here. But what will go on when the light finally dawns? that it's time to get back at that man. Jane Fonda. Lily Tomlin. And Dolly Parton. Nine to five. Yeah, that is the choice i think like i said earlier this is rewatching it 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 is honestly like every other modern workplace comedy either is informed by it or just straight borrows from this film yes not only that let's just start and say right off the bat one of the best songs ever written <laughs> by the way like, hands down just a just a great song <laughs> and and i hope that you know uh we have an opportunity to hear that right now And I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Uh, doing my research on this because uh, you know, I, I watched it then I, then I read up a little bit because I remember this came out in 1980 mm, I think yep. yeah I I watched it pretty contemporaneous contemporaneously, contemporaneously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so like when I was like maybe four or five and like everybody in my family loved that film like watching it now I'm like oh man this is <laughs> I don't understand how I liked it when I was a Dolly kid Parton. Other than, well, yeah other than Dolly Parton, is, which yeah. is when she sang the song to the to the producers, she had, she had her big long fake nails uh-huh. on, and she tapped out the rhythm on, on the nails while she sang it. And she said, "You have to have fake ones to do this, <laughs> and long nails." <laughs> <laughs> Dolly Parton. Anybody who's seen her stage performances and when she's doing interviews, like she has a charisma mm-hmm. that is just as bright as the sun. This is our first feature film, too. Yes, yes. And this proved that she could bring that charisma to the big screen. Let's face it. She was on screen with with some heavy hitters. Yes. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. 
And Dabney Coleman, who's like the professional early 80s jerk. <laughs> it's strange because it's it's almost split up into two parts because it's it's really kind of grounded in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then they smoke pot. <laughs> And there's this Everything weird, just goes, yeah. <laughs> there's this weird, like, like so when I'm watching it, and they start having fantasies about what, they're, how they're going to torture their boss and stuff. It gets real cartoonish, like literally, like Lily Tomlin, yes. like summons, like uh, animated. It's a Disney birds. film, yeah. It's because they're they're high or whatever. And I was like, this is kind of seems out of place in this film up to now, but it doesn't stop. It like it kind of like keeps that, even though it's a little more grounded, it, it keeps that kind of absurdity. For the, for the latter half of the film. And it's somehow that balance works because it really builds upon everything that came before mm-hmm. it. And it steps up. But there is a, certainly there's a noticeable ramp up at that point when they have the, the fantasies that that's like when the, when the governor's taken off and it's just the rest of the film is just... What I love about this film is at the start, there's very kind of clunky exposition to begin with. Like you find Jane Fonda's... You know, she's starting her first day. She's been a housewife. She's never had a job. She's newly divorced. And you learn Lily Tomlin's character is a widow with two kids. And that everyone thinks Dolly Parton's character is having an affair with Dabney Coleman, the boss. Because he's telling them. Yeah. (laughs) But after you get that clunky exposition out of the way, it's like really brilliantly crafted after that. Mm -hmm. Like, they set up all this stuff that pays off later in the movie without yeah. it being obvious. You know, Dabney Coleman's chair, you know, always kind of breaking into him falling backwards in it. <laughs> uh, the fact that Dolly Parton's character can sign his signature mm-hmm. as well as he can. Uh, all it, yeah, this stuff comes into play later. And it's all played off really naturally. Like, the chair falling back thing is kind of like a gag, but it, like, it plays into the believability of what happens later. Right. Yes. You know what? There's there's some really funny physical comedy, like Jane Fonda when she's like sent to the to the copy room. There's this <laughs> freaking wall length like <laughs> collating machine. It's like very like Lucille Ball. Yeah. Like the machine just starts pumping stuff out. It's subdued, but it's still like really funny because it's like you're like, oh man, this. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as over the top as a Lucille or Elton yeah. bit. Right, it's kind of a matured version of that. Yeah, Jane Fonda, she can do comedy. Barbarella is probably one of the greatest films that has ever been made, ever, <laughs> according to fourteen-year-old me. So, <laughs> like Dabney Coleman does a great job as well. Mm-hmm. You hate this guy. He does it without like twirling a mustache or anything like <laughs> that. Like the- it's also very natural. One of my favorite. Bits is his introduction. They, uh, Lily Tomlin brings in uh, Jane Fonda because she's the new hire. And he stands up and he's pontificating. And he says, I wish you girls were able to play baseball and football when you're growing up. And I've always said that's a shame because that's where you get to learn where teamwork. And yeah. it's just like so effortlessly piggish. Yes. <laughs> like, but he thinks he's being such a magnanimous guy. Like, I wish you could have played baseball but you can't because you're a girl and it well it doesn't it's not mustache twirling but it's definitely like in his mind he is definitely the hero of the story 
and <laughs> and his flirting and sexual harassment is totally justified. Like that's the other right. and it's effort like in your point, it's like it's without even thinking. That's just his and the dialogue again, like really informs like their he's like, I'm sorry about the conference in, in Dallas and all and she's like, That's my fault. Next time I'm I'll check and make sure there's actually a conference <laughs> yes. before I go. <laughs> that's good stuff. There's the great scene where everything kind of comes to the head. Uh, like Lily Tomlin finds out she's not getting the promotion that he's kind of been hanging over her head. What? Now let me finish, okay? And don't go flying off the handle. You gave that promotion to Bob Enright instead of me? I've got five years seniority over him. I know that. For Christ's sake, I trained him. I know that, but see, the, the company... Feels oh, that company <laughs> bullshit. It's your decision. You promoted him. You tell me why. Well... In the first place, see, Bob does have a college degree. Oh, Alex. brilliant. Brilliant. While he's away at college getting his precious, useless degree, I'm working my butt off at this company. And in the second place, he does have a family to support. And I don't? What has that got to do Wait, with anything? Violet, look, my hands are tied here. The company needs a man in this position. Clients would rather deal with men when it comes to figures. Oh, now we're getting at it. I lose a promotion because of some idiot prejudice. The boys in the club are threatened, and you're so intimidated by any woman that won't sit at the back of the bus. Spare me the women's lib crap, okay? Or, you know, as she gets angry, she walks off to like the the bar down the street. Jane Fonda goes after her because they wind up firing one of the women in the secretarial pool because they find out she like mentioned like how much she was paid, and mm -hmm. like I said, they're trying to prevent unionization, so they fire her. Mm -hmm. And Jane Fonda goes to talk to Lily Tomlin about that. And then Dolly Parton finds out that Dabney Coleman's been telling everybody that she's been sleeping with him and everything. So she gets mad and she runs out. And they're all in the bar together drinking. And they had kind of had Dolly Parton's character on the outside because they thought she was sleeping with the boss. When they find out it's not, they're just all sitting there drinking and they start bonding. And that's when they wind up smoking the joint that Lily Tom's son gave her. <laughs> they have the, the fantasy sequences, like all the stuff they would do to him. And Dolly Parton's was just turning the tables on Tabby Coleman and like sexually harassing him. And then like hog tying him up like a rodeo champion. But what I love is... That all comes to fruition. Right, like, well, right. Well, fantasies actually happen. <laughs> but in a grounded way, like like Jane Fonda shoots at him and misses, right. thankfully. But they, they do rope him up. And uh, putting him in the bondage gear, because they didn't have anything to tie him <laughs> up with, is such, is such an underrated gag. And then the, just the bit where they've, they've got him attached to the uh, the garage door opener to as like a fail safe. If he starts yeah. trying to escape, they hit it and he goes, Pull. and Lily Tomlin is installing it in, it, in her house and seeing yeah. when she gets the joint. It's like, that's, you know, obviously she knows how to do this because we, we saw her do it. Yeah, there's all these great setups. Yeah, I mean it's it's so baked into the narrative. That, it's that it's thing really you great. said before where your favorite kind of joke is where they tell you they're going to tell you a joke and then they tell you that joke. <laughs> it's still funny. That's yeah, that that always gets me too. <laughs> One of the things that happens though, it's it's kind of like the big turning point after they've had their bonding experience and everything is Lily Tomlin gets coffee for Dabney Coleman's character. And there's thing, it's a sweet and low placement in there, but it's called, uh, I think, sweet and skinny. Mm -hmm. And you know, he always wants sweet and skinny in his coffee. And she accidentally puts rat poison in it because the box looks exactly the same. As he's about to drink it, that's when his chair breaks again on him. 
and throws him back and knocks him unconscious. So she thinks she's poisoned him. Right. And so they go to the hospital. And that's when you get like the sitcom misunderstanding stuff going on. Because there's a cop there as well. Because they had this guy who's going to like testify. And he's been poisoned. And so they're sitting there talking about that. And she thinks they're talking about Dabney Coleman's character. And he's already just got up and left because he just had a bump on the head. And so in order to prevent there being an autopsy, Lily Tomlin steals the body. She thinks it's Dabney Coleman because there's a sheet and everything on it. And there's this great scene of her like wheeling the gurney down the middle of the hospital. And like she like steals a doctor's coat and everything on it to hide it. And the music would fit in with an Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> it's like so well done. And it get that dark comedy and everything. And of course, the big surprise later is he, he shows up. He's okay. And he finds out that they've accidentally put the poison and everything in there. So he threatens them. And he tries to force Dolly Parton into a sexual liaison with him to cover it up. And that's when they wind up like kidnapping him and locking him up and trying to uh, prove that he's actually been embezzling from the company and stuff like that. And I think going back to the, the poison looking like the uh, artificial sweetener, that's um pretty subtle commentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we would find out later. Yes. <laughs> well, no, no, not just, not just that like, like sweet and low is actually giving rats cancer or whatever, but, <laughs> But that this is a sugar substitute typically used by, by women, sweet and skinny, you know, yeah. and it, it, it being indistinguishable except for the name from rat poison. That's by design, <laughs> and that's yeah, that's good writing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very well-constructed movie overall. It's a very feminist movie, and I think it's the choices they made were the right ones. Like, Jane Fonda actually produced the film. She had just created her own production company. She had been looking to do a project like this. And the original script was like very serious and she rejected it because she felt that it was too much of a preachy, like standing on a soapbox movie. And she didn't want that. When Jane Fonda thinks something's preachy, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> She's, why is this anti-aircraft gun oh. bit in here? I, that's that's I, a little on the I nose. stay away from the politics of this, but. If you're gonna open that, if no. you're gonna open that door, I got I got things to say. Josh only wants to hear him as long as they conform with his political ideas. Anarcho-capitalism, yeah. <laughs> she wanted to work with Lily Tomlin for a while, so this wound up being turned into a comedy. And then they wrote the part specifically for Dolly Parton. What gets me, it wasn't critically panned, but a lot of the critics at the time actually kind of put it down a little bit because they felt it was too lighthearted, that it, it should have been darker and everything. I think it works better being lighthearted because it's a lot more subversive in that way. It did very well. In oh, the yeah, it was theater, a hit. It, it was a huge hit. They uh, And it spawned a television show that I watched as a kid. Yeah, for like what, um, five seasons? Starring Dolly Parton's younger sister. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, the Dolly Parton stand-in is Dolly Parton's the, the lesser part. Parton the lesser. But yeah, it, it was a very, very popular movie at the time. Made a lot of money. And recently, probably the past 15, 20 years, has been reevaluated. And I think a lot of people recognize it for how important it was because it brought forward a, the woman's point of view 
of the workplace at the time. I don't ever remember a time where this wasn't like lauded mm-hmm. and, and just catapulted Dolly Parton into the stratosphere and and started a trend of movies that she made that I shouldn't have watched at the age I watched them. Like the the best little whorehouse in Texas that if you grew up in the eighties, you watched that movie like it was like a Disney family after, show. After church on Sunday. <laughs> You know, it's not like my parents were like super liberal right. or anything. It's just like that was <laughs> that was the baseline. It was yeah. like, sure, sure, you can watch. It was on network television. Yeah, yeah. It's but about, I, I, it's, it's a musical about yeah. a whorehouse. <laughs> what? 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 What's what's wrong with that? <laughs> I don't think anyone put down Dolly Parton at the time. Matter of fact, that's the one thing that all the guys were definitely a, a fan of uh, <laughs> was Dolly Parton's performance. That you know, I think. Ebert and Siskel and a lot of people did say that like she proves herself mm-hmm. as a True. a mainstream Actress. star. Yeah. It wasn't taken, I believe, as seriously as it really was because it was a lighthearted comedy. I think they didn't realize that that was the best way for them to to pull those issues forward to actually kind of get it in people's brains. Because one of the things that Jane Fonda told when they were doing the rewrite to make it a comedy is that you had to show that the office would run without the boss there, but it couldn't run without the secretaries there. What I hate is that Jane Fonda's ex-husband, Ted Turner, colorized this film. <laughs> First he paid to remove all the color from the film. Then he paid to put that's it back. A, that's a very deep joke. A very 1993 yeah. joke. I yeah. made that joke for me, man. <laughs> Honestly, Jason, that was a really good good choice of a movie. I'm glad that you, you brought it up. This is a good episode overall. I'm really glad that we, we did this. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Not to your exit interview. This is uh this was a good time. Here's your box. Uh, <laughs> Listen, uh, don't let we, your hat, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> Look, I've always considered you family. <laughs> and it this was a hard decision. But we looked at your performance review. <laughs> You didn't get all 10. And, uh, and so well, long story you short, you're not eligible for rehires. <laughs> You'll notice that your brick pit badge will no longer work at the door to, to brick pit studios. Adam, tell everybody where to turn in their keys before they leave. Yeah, well, if you're still with us, we appreciate it. And uh, if you have comments or suggestions on things we should talk about in the future, or if you have anything to say about this episode, We'd love to hear from you on our social media. You can go to uh, Facebook, which we've already demeaned in this episode, uh, or Twitter, and look for the Brick Pit Podcast, where you'll find it. Which we also demeaned in this episode. episode, (laughs) Of which we are both uh, heavily reliant and a little bit uh, uh, disgusted by. Indebted to. It's it's one of those things. But in any case, Brick Pit Podcast on uh, social media. You can also find us at anchor.fm forward slash bricked pit where you can leave us a voicemail and if you'd like to send us an email which is always interesting bricked pit at gmail.com is the place to do that uh, until next time just keep doing that nine to five grind and we'll catch you later mm-hmm.